Hey, I'm Tim. And I'm Drew. And this is the Hearts and Hands Podcast. In episode 32, we talk about illuminating texts, and we talk to Aaron Getzinger about his experiences in design. Welcome to another episode of the Hearts and Hands podcast. I'm your host, Drew Sonnenberg, joined as always by my co-host, Tim Babbler. Tim, how are you doing? Going pretty well. I had a couple busy weeks coming up and and past, so... You know, staying busy, staying, trying to stay cool. Wisconsin's had quite the heat wave recently. I, I would feel bad for you, but that's the way South Carolina always is, so I don't feel <laughs> too bad. Yeah, that's okay. I, I mean, that's fair enough. Yeah, we had a we had a great conversation this week with Aaron Getzinger, and he brought up this idea of using his visual design to kind of illuminate the scriptures or illuminate texts. And Tim, you and I aren't really visual artists, but we do write and arrange a fair amount of music. Um, so I thought that we could ask the question, how do you use music to kind of illuminate the text of the songs that you're you're writing or performing? Yeah, so I guess I've been thinking about that for a while, ever since I first realized that there was such a thing as meter in like hymns. And there are some times where hymn melodies are written perfectly to fit the the text of the uh, you know of each of the verses and there are other times where it's like there are, there's definitely a better setting for this so there's definitely a better melody for this and ever since then i i very much think about that when i'm when i'm writing a song i actually think back to songwriting weekend two years ago that you hosted at Illumin, and one of the things that i was doing was i had a melody that was very similar but one of the things we did was threw in an E minor instead of a C because I was talking about sin. And then the second time when I was talking about standing on the rock of faith, that is God, that E minor became the happy C major chord. So that's, you know, that's using chord structure, even just changing it slightly, something that's a relative minor to in order to, you know, something that's talking about necessarily a, something sad or something upsetting or whatever. It, it gives people more the feeling of, oh, yep, this is a little sad or somber versus, yes, this is happy. Do you have similar experiences with that? Yeah, I think I think about this kind of in a, in a twofold way. Like there's when you're taking an existing song and melody and structure and just kind of making a new arrangement of it. And I do this quite a bit with hymns. And I was trying to think of a, like a, an analogy for what this would be like with visual art. And I think... It'd be like if you had just like a very straightforward representational picture of something from the Bible and you're using it maybe with kids or something like that to just like give a a visual that's very, it's functional. It gets a certain point across, but maybe not on a, a super deep level. It's just very surface level. And I think of, of hymns like that, that, there's a way of, of playing a hymn that is just very straightforward and representational and just kind of letting the words stand on their own. But then there's a way to kind of, the, the phrase we used this week was illuminate. And since I work at Illumin, I liked that phrase. <laughs> but to, to kind of add to or point to a specific part or a specific verse or a specific phrase by how you write the arrangement so that not every verse is going to be exactly the same or 
you know, just a, a way to to use the music to to add to the text rather than to simply complement it. You know, all hymns have music to them, so to a certain degree, they're going to have something added to them. But to to add that next layer of nuance. The other time I think about this is when I find a hymn or a, especially a hymn text that I feel like the the melody no longer really matches it. And I know some people get kind of sensitive about about changing the, the melodies to hymns. And I say, well, most of the, <laughs> the melodies you know to hymns are not the original melody. Uh, right. But when you know there's there's a an older melody that just doesn't resonate as well in current times then i i'm a big fan of writing new ones that just kind of make more sense to the listener's ear that they don't have to do quite as much work figuring out what this melody is doing and why it's doing it and that it just makes more sense to them on first listen so that they aren't focused as much on the melody and that they are just being pointed back to the words, hopefully through the melody being a, a, a better complement to the words than perhaps the, the melody that we're used to. But yeah, I think those are, those are two examples of how I try to do more with the, the words by what I do with the music. And I think that's the cool thing that we're going to hear more of in the interview. Aaron talks about a lot of his inspiration in the past and things like that and how one of the things he enjoyed is seeing people do that illumination. So let's let him tell his story. Today we are excited to welcome Aaron Getzinger to the podcast. Welcome, Aaron. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's our pleasure. Uh, for our, our guests who may not know or may not have heard of you before, could you give us a brief introduction? Yeah, I am a pastor in upstate New York, in Watertown, New York, at Redemption Lutheran Church. Uh, we've been around for about five years near Fort Drum, which is home to the 10th Mountain Division. So we have a lot of military folks. But I am a pastor, but I also have a huge passion for the arts and for graphic design specifically. Yeah, and we, we actually have been hearing your name from a lot of the different people we've been talking to, including we had your mother on a few weeks ago, and she was wonderful. But you also posted something on Facebook a few weeks ago about this new website you have that's focused specifically on your design work. And you you describe it as a hobby rather than a, a vocation or a profession. So I was curious, just how, how did you kind of get into design work? Yeah, so... Well, you, you know my mom. So my mom went to school for fashion design, and now she is a full-time professional artist. My dad is a pastor, but before he was a pastor, he's a second career student. He was a graphic artist and ran his own design firm. And so the arts in general have always been a big part of my family and a big part of my life. You know, I grew up drawing, and I think one of the first graphic design pieces I can actually remember making is a trifold for a fifth grade project on the Pacific Crest Trail. <laughs> uh, and that's, it was all, I mean, it, I thinking back on it, it was terrible. It was all in like this weird blue printer toner color. Sure. It was on a laser printer, but like we, there weren't color laser printers yet. So uh, and maybe there were, we just couldn't afford one. It was back, we had this one from when my dad had the business. But, you know, as I grew up around the arts and drawing and painting, uh, I really started to get drawn to how things were laid out. And specifically, print materials were laid out. I loved looking at 
different ads in magazines, loved looking at design magazines like Communication Arts. And I think probably as I grew older, I began to see a natural dovetail between graphic arts and congregational life. Design can easily be equated to commercialism, right? Like we're surrounded by design all the time and usually design is trying to sell us something, but it doesn't have to be like that. And graphic design, I think, can serve a purpose to illuminate the scriptures and even assist in biblical interpretation of the scriptures. Yeah, and you also talk a lot about kind of drawing your inspiration from those, those artists and those craftsmen that have come before you. So who, who are a few of those that you especially kind of latch on to? Yeah, early on, I was really drawn to Albrecht Durer. Uh, and particularly his etchings. Uh, one that sticks in my mind is called Night, Death, and the Devil. And in the foreground, you see this knight on horseback, and he has his armor on. But behind him on one side, you see Satan. And then on the other side, you see like a be- beastly personification. I don't know if personification is the right word, because it's like this otherworldly creature. But it's death. But it's a little gruesome. You know, the the concept of it is a little gruesome, but his lines are so fine in it. And there's so much movement in it, even though it is a static Im- static image. And I, I just love that. I also loved, uh, he did a uh, study called Young Hair, which was uh, watercolor and gouache, but it was a study to prepare for a future etching. And you can tell just by looking at it that there's transfer into his painting from some of his etching work. And granted, obviously, because it was a study. Guys like Caravaggio for their use of light and shadow, Bernini for his forms. Um, And I think, you know, in terms of graphic design, one place that I really found a lot of inspiration were the illuminators of the biblical text. So, you know, things like the Book of Kells, which is from 800s. And there are these full pages of paintings and illuminations. And one of the ones that's just amazing is the key row. And it's actually attached to Matthew 1, 18. So this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah came about, right? And in light of that, you see this key row. And and at first you just see the key row and it causes you to pause, right? So in the back of your mind, you're, you're realizing, okay, this is about the incarnation. And you, you take time to look at this image of a key row, but as you look at it, you can begin to see that there's these little Easter eggs surrounding it, that there's different creatures and faces of human beings. And even down uh, below the key row, there's like two mice nibbling on a host element, you know, from communion. And it really causes you to stop and ponder, well, what does this mean? This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. So building off of what you said, how you really draw inspiration from specifically this idea of the the people that illuminated the scriptures, how Mm -hmm. would you say that you do that in your design work? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I think starting out as you draw inspiration from people, it can be very much or feel very derivative. And it's a lot of times it is copying. And that's a really important thing. That's an important process to go through because that's how you learn. And so I, th- I think as you grow, though, it becomes very much like for readers out there, 
like reading a lot of literature and how it ends up expanding your vocabulary. So also by looking at these artists and craftsmen who have gone before us, it, it in a way increases your visual vocabulary, so to speak. So that it's not just about the aesthetic experience anymore, but it is about what purpose does this piece of artwork hold? And in the case of something like those uh, illuminators, and what I try to do very often is, how is this going to aid somebody in their understanding of maybe a specific Bible passage, or maybe a whole sermon series, or even a, an entire chapter or a book? Uh, how is this communicating to them and allowing them to come to a deeper understanding of what the scriptures have to say? So we, we've kind of touched on this with a few of our other our guests, but when you're dealing with visual design and, and visual elements, sometimes there, there's this room for, for misinterpretation. And mm -hmm. you as a pastor, I'm sure, are especially sensitive to not wanting people to misinterpret the gospel. So what, what do you do or what process goes through your mind as you're working on design to try to make the message as clear or the least able to be misunderstood as possible? Yeah, that's a good question. And I guess I have a, a twofold answer for that. First off, you know, when somebody approaches a piece of design or artwork, uh, it could be anybody, right? We're putting this out there into a world that is more interconnected than we have ever been before. And so my audience, though I do keep Christians in mind and people who are studying the scriptures in mind, it may not just be Christians. And so that person is bringing their own interpretive lens to that piece. And I know that might make a lot of people uncomfortable, but that's also the reality. And so one part of the answer is that if my artwork can get them to contemplate certain things that they have not contemplated before, I think that's a step in the right direction. In C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, there's this scene, it's in one of the opening chapters, where the, the patient is in a a museum, and he's contemplating a piece of artwork, and uh, Screwtape encourages Wormwood to not allow him to think about what that artwork means and some of the like higher questions of like life, like where am I going? Why do people die? Right? What is my personal meaning in life if life seems so finite? And art has that ability. And now I'm not saying that my graphic design for an unbeliever is automatically going to point them to Christ, right? I, I would stop so far to say that it can only assist people in prompting questions that they ask of themselves, and hopefully it leads them to a place of the natural knowledge of God, right? Just as much as somebody sees the beauty of the earth, so also maybe in a piece of artwork, they begin to see beauty and then also ask questions which are higher level questions of life and start really grappling with those. In terms of the second part of that for Christians, the goal is really to help them understand the scriptures, to stop, pause, and consider what those passages mean that the piece of artwork is related to. And so I very much see the artwork I, I put out there 
as dovetailing with the scriptures and being an aid for people in their contemplative study of what God has to say to them. So being both an artist and a pastor, you kind of have a unique seat where you can not only be creating the artwork that the people are experiencing, but you, if you choose to, can you know, explain as much or as little about that artwork as you want, whether that be a piece of design you're using or the songs you're singing on a Sunday morning. How have you found that role to work? Do do you like to explain everything in in great detail? Do you like to leave room for their interpretation? I don't think I provide a lot of explanation concerning maybe specific graphic design choices or pieces of artwork that we put out there. And I'm thinking particularly of visual art. And I think the reason for that is the goal is to cause people to stop and think. I think we're such a frenzy um, society, right? Like I can barely wake up in the morning without looking at my phone and checking Facebook, Twitter, and my Instagram feed without, you know, first thinking about my Lord saying my morning prayer, uh, what have you. And so if, if, the goal is just to get people to stop and think wherever that artwork is going to lead them. And hopefully it's in a context of worship. And so it's already going to be guiding them towards the scriptures. I'm comfortable with that. In terms of music in the worship service, I have definitely, you know, told them, okay, here's a context behind a particular song we're singing. You know, this song is 500, a thousand years old, but here's why it's still relevant for our lives today. And maybe the tune sounds a little bit weird, but believers throughout the ages have shared this as a part of their history. And the words even more so uh, really speak truth to us because it's founded on the scriptures. This might be going too far off into this direction, so we'll just see where it goes. But yeah, no uh, worries. Why do you feel like there is that difference between between music and visual art? That with one, that like a different set of rules kind of applies as far as leaving it up for interpretation and things goes. I think because people are more comfortable with music, and maybe that means you know maybe that's revealing something of myself too, right? Like the fact that I wouldn't prompt people to hey, this is why we're using this piece of artwork. Or, you know, we have these beautifully hand-painted banners at church, you know, that obviously change with the seasons. I think maybe there's a part of me too that goes, okay, you know, I don't want to get too weirdo on my people about this artwork, right? I, I think people are surrounded by music more often. And maybe though they are surrounded by art and design, it's not something that's in the forefront of their mind. And so what is this art and design communicating to me other than like the, the most upfront message possible? You know, I'm thinking like commercials or magazine spreads or ads on that are served to you on Instagram or Facebook, because those are pretty upfront. It's hard. You don't have to interpret ads very much. And so I think part of it is comfortability, but I'm not saying it should be that way either. I think sometimes we can have a very utilitarian approach to visual art. That it's something purely for the aesthetic, right? It's something just to appreciate appreciate for for the beauty. And I think a lot of times for artists, there is going to be a tension between aesthetic or form and the purpose of each piece of art. And I think that's specifically true for artists who are providing work in the religious sphere. 
right? Because every piece of artwork we're putting out there, at least for me, I'm not putting it out there just to be beautiful, but there is a purpose inside of that. And I think a lot of times, you know, when it comes to architecture, even design in general, it, it can just seem very utilitarian and just being beautiful for the sake of beauty's sake, rather than serving a purpose. And I think a lot of times we don't necessarily have a vocabulary to speak about that. Whereas with music, there is prose involved with that. There is poetry involved with that. And we get to hear those words assisted by the music and it suddenly begins to make sense. And even certainly, you know, in a, in a instrumental piece, sometimes it, there is very often a surrounding context to that instrumental piece, right? Like if, if it's a, a piece of mourning, right, we can, we can understand that by just listening to that because somehow, somewhere along the way, we have gained a particular vocabulary to speak about music in a way in which we don't have about visual artwork necessarily. So Aaron, many creatives struggle to find time to dedicate to their hobbies or passions. And you obviously, as a full-time pastor, are very busy and have a lot of responsibilities to juggle. How do you make time for your creative endeavors while still balancing your other vocations? So this is kind of a recent uh, revelation for me, but I'm, I'm learning that being creative and having a creative outlet or some sort of creative output, it's really a part of who I am. It's a part of, you know, it's a value that I have. Creativity is part of my values. And if I don't leave time for that, my life begins to feel out of balance. And so just as much as I have other important areas of my life, you know, regarding my vocation, regarding my physical health or my spiritual health. So also this is something that has been so deeply ingrained in me that if I don't do it, something feels off. And so I'm not saying I'm good at making time all the time because I'm not, you know, there will go droughts, months, maybe even a year that I'm not creating anything just for the fun of it, uh, where it's very much just for church. And I shouldn't say just for church, but you know, where it becomes more like, okay, I got to put some series art together and not really like pushing myself in a, in a creative way. And so I think by recently realizing that, okay, this is a core value for me. It allows me some forgiveness to use it as a way in which I can relax. I can rejuvenate myself in a way where it's equal to taking downtime and taking a breath. I don't know if that really answers the how as much as it is the why. And the reason for that is I don't know if I'm very good at the how yet. I'm still struggling. I think we all are to some extent. Well, we, we want to thank you for taking the time to come and talk to us today. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. It was great. Great speaking with you guys. Uh, for our listeners that want to see more of your work or, or see what you're up to, where can we point them? They can go to a gets. So that's G-E-T-Z, like my last name's Getzinger. My nickname was Getz when I was a kid and in high school and in college and in seminary. So A Getz Creative, A-G-E-T-Z Creative.com. You can find me on Facebook at the same thing, on Instagram at a.getz.creative. That wraps it up for another episode of the podcast. 
One other point I did want to bring up with regards to using music to, to illuminate texts was this idea of heart music, that a lot of times when I'm writing a new melody or a new arrangement for a song, I'm doing it for something that strikes a chord with me, and I'm hoping strikes a chord with the other people who, who use it and listen to it. But it's because it's it's this music that just really gets to a person's heart, whether it's because of nostalgia or because of their familiarity with it, or just that it's their, their cup of tea, the thing that they enjoy. And we're actually going to have a live podcast roundtable discussion next week because Tim and I are going to be at Camp South. So we're going to talk to a few other people there about this idea of heart music and what it means and how we can use it to kind of package the gospel in the most effective way that we know how. So look forward to that next week. And we definitely want to thank you for tuning in this week. As always, if you have any questions or comments or have people that you would like us to reach out to or topics you'd like to hear about, please reach out to us on social media at Wells Creatives, or you can email us at heartsenhancedpodcast at gmail.com. And we thank you for those who have shown us support on patreon.com slash heartsenhancedpodcast. There you can get access to bonus content and uncut episodes. We encourage you to check it out. Thank you for all your support. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.